Psalm 40. Now, I know I say this a lot, so you have to bear with me, but this may be one of my favorite psalms, okay? I've narrowed it down to about 20, and, and, and then I think I have 20 favorites, and I get to about 25 favorites. But I'm telling you, uh, when you go dig in and study these psalms, they are so wonderful. And by the way, book two, is there's some good stuff in book two, so stay tuned for that. But Psalm 40 is a powerful, powerful psalm. Before I read it, just a reminder as to a summary concerning the psalms. If someone asks you, what are the psalms about? Here's the theme of the psalms. God, the true and glorious King, is worthy of all praise and prayer, thanksgiving and confidence, whatever the occasion in personal or community life. These psalms remind us that no matter what happens in our life, God is worthy of our worship and God is worthy of our trust. Uh, he, we can trust Him with whatever we are going through in our lives. And the Psalms remind us of this. And remember, these Psalms are hymns. They're worship songs. They were written to be used, to be sung in the corporate worship of the people of Israel. And so that's always important to remember as you are reading your way through these Psalms. So let's look at Psalm 4. I'm going to read the entire thing, 17 verses. And it's so good. It starts there. To the choir master, so again a reminder, David wrote this to give to the choir master, to give to his, his Travis, okay? A psalm of David, I waited patiently for the Lord, he inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up, you've probably heard this verse before, he drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, praise the Lord for that, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Interesting phrase. We'll talk about that a few, in a few minutes. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I've not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I've not hidden your deliverance, uses that word again. Within my heart, I've spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I've not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see." They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha, aha, but may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation, that's an interesting phrase, say continually, great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. I've titled our 
study tonight out of the miry bog. Out of the miry bog. That's the major theme of verse 1. And I've given you some statements there concerning the, the, the subject matter of this psalm. There are four things, if you will, that this psalm is about. So I want to just walk you through those four things, those four themes. Number one, Psalm 40 is a psalm of deliverance. If you were paying attention, you saw the word deliverance used several times throughout uh, these words. And deliverance is the overarching theme of this, this psalm. Now, this passage emphasizes several things related to deliverance. First of all, it emphasizes the need for deliverance. David was in a place in his life where he needed deliverance. Look what it says there in verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog. And so David relays the situation, and we don't know exactly what he's talking about here, but some time in his life when he needed deliverance. And he said, I was in a miry bog. I needed God to lift me out of that miry bog and set my feet upon a rock. Um, and I think he's using some, some metaphorical language here to get his point across. For example, the pit represents the threat of coming destruction. He says there, he drew me up, verse 2, he drew me up from the pit of destruction. So David's saying, if I stayed in that situation I was in, I would have been destroyed. If I was not rescued, if, if, if something did not change, I would have been destroyed. And so the pit represents the threat of, of coming destruction. The miry bog represents his inability to save himself. Look what he says in verse 2. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bogs. That, that adjective miry, uh, that noun bog speaks of something David was not able to get out of himself. He was stuck in the mud, if you will. And if God did not help him, if God did not rescue him, he would have stayed stuck in the mud. It speaks of David's inability to save himself. And we know this idea of of neediness is found throughout the psalm because look what it says in verse 17. David ends by saying, As for me, I am poor and needy. And so, if you've ever found yourself um, in a situation that you could not that you could not solve yourself, you can relate to David. If you ever needed deliverance, you can relate to David. And you say, well, wait, I don't think I've ever needed deliverance. I don't think I've ever needed God's help to that degree. Well, can I tell you one area that we all need deliverance in? We all need deliverance from our sin, right? The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. And the Bible says that our sin deserves punishment. And the Bible says that our sin separates us from a holy God. And so, because you're a sinner, because I'm a sinner, we are separated from a holy God. And in our condition, we deserve His wrath, His punishment. We deserve hell. That's pretty bad, right? And guess what? In our condition, our sinful condition, we're in a miry bog. We can't save ourselves. Doesn't matter how much you try to clean up your life. Doesn't matter how much you try to fix things or manipulate things or change circumstances. You you cannot save yourself. No matter how, how many good things you do, you still got sin in your life that deserves judgment. Right? 
that, that's why good works, or, or people that believe they can save themselves through good works, is just such a foolish ideology. You know, it's as if people think they're going to stand before God one day, and they're going to say, hey God, let me into heaven, look at all the good things I've done. I've done this, I've done that, I've taken care of my family, I've done, look at all these good things. And, and a holy God will say, what about the bad things? What about the rebellion? What about the sin? What about the immorality? What about the iniquity? What about the deceit? What about the selfishness? What about the anger? What about that? And if we stand before a holy God with unforgiven sin in our lives, we will be cast into what the Bible calls a lake of fire. Eternal separation from God. And listen to me, you, you're a sinner, I'm a sinner, and we can't fix ourselves. We can't fix ourselves. We're in a, in our sinful condition, we are in a miry bog. Now listen, some preachers won't tell you that. They'll get on TV and say, you're okay, I'm okay. Hey, just smile, we're all children of God. And they are lying. They are not preaching biblical sermons. The Bible says, apart from the saving grace of God through Jesus Christ, we are all ruined, wretched sinners that deserve hell. And if I didn't tell you that, I would not be a faithful Bible preacher because that comes from the Bible. And so you say, I've never needed deliverance. Yes, you have. Yes, you have. We've all needed deliverance from our sin, from the punishment our sin deserves, the the miry bog that our sin catches us up in. And so we can identify with this need for deliverance. But listen to this. I love this idea of needing deliverance and God meeting our need. Look what it says in verse 17. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay on my God. So do you need to notice the contrast here? David says, I am poor and needy. You are my help. Don't you like that contrast? Every time you think about where you fall short, think about where God meets that need. I am unrighteous. God in His grace gives me the righteousness of His Son. You are righteous. Right? I am unwise. You are wise and you give me wisdom for living when I follow Christ. I am a sinner. You are the one that died for my sins. You see, whatever need you have, God will meet that need. Amen? So he's saying, I am and you are. I am, you are. He reminds himself that even though he has real needs in his life, God is the one that meets those needs. And so we see in this passage the need for deliverance, but we also see... uh, that this passage emphasizes trust in the deliverer. How do you mobilize God to help you? And that entails help you with your sin problem, help you with a situation in your life, even as a believer. How do we, how do we gain God's help? Look what it says there in verse 3. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God, many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Then he says in verse 4, Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. When you understand you have a need and you trust God to meet that need, that's when God comes to your rescue. When it comes to our sin problem, the Bible calls that saving faith. 
When you realize you're a sinner in need of a Savior, and that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the grave, and He can forgive you of your sins if you put your trust in Him, that's trust, that's saving faith. And when you do that, God comes to your rescue, right? He, he, when you trust God, it mobilizes Him to come and meet your need. That's true for non-Christians that become Christians by placing their faith in Christ. It's true for Christians that find themselves in difficult circumstances. Listen, you don't stop trusting God when you become a Christian, right? You live a life of trust and dependence upon the Lord so that no matter what, you, what miry bog you find yourself in as a Christian even, no matter how hard life is, you trust God to help you, and when you trust God, He comes to your rescue. God is honored when He is trusted. God loves to be trusted. Listen, as a parent... Don't you like it when your kids trust you? You ever found yourself giving your kids some advice and it sounds wacky to them and they just don't get it and they think you're, they think you're crazy, you know? Um, and you say to them, just trust me. I know some things you don't know. I've been through some things you hadn't been through, all right? You think you're the smartest person in the room and you're not, all right? Trust me. Trust me. And, and, and when your child trusts you, it makes you feel good as a parent, right? When they disregard what you have to say, it, 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 it's disrespectful, right? Same thing with God. God loves to be trusted. When you find yourself in a miry bog, when you find yourself in a pit, when you find yourself in something difficult that requires rescue, God loves for you to say, God, I'm out of answers. can't help myself. I really could use some help on this one. And I trust that you know what's best to do. God, would you come to my rescue? God is honored when you do that. Matter of fact, some of the times you can see God get the angriest in the Old Testament is when the people of Israel went to make alliances with other nations because they didn't trust God. They would have, you know, like the Assyrians about to attack them. They say, "Uh uh-oh, we need some help. And they'd go to Egypt to say, would you help us, Pharaoh? against the Assyrians, and God would get so angry. He'd say, why didn't you come to me? I mean, do you think Pharaoh's more powerful than the living God? Why didn't you ask me to help you? God is honored when his people trust him, and he's dishonored when we don't trust him. And so how do we, how do we mobilize God to come to our rescue? We place our trust in the deliverer, which leads to the third thing, the act of deliverance. The act of deliverance. Look what it says there. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog, so he rescued me from my plight and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He changed my situation. He took me from miry bog to a a secure rock. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. And so David here is saying, God came to my rescue. God is a rescuer. He is a deliverer. And if you're a Christian tonight, if you're a born-again Christian here in this room, you've been rescued. You know what rescue feels like. You know what deliverance feels like. It's awesome when God comes and lifts you from the the miry bog, lifts you from the pit, and, and changes the trajectory of your life. He saves you from your sin. Now here's the question. This is where it gets interesting. Why in the world would God care about rescuing any of us from anything. He is holy and righteous and just. And we've all disrespected God. 
we've all dishonored God. We've rebelled against God. We, we, we all can identify with the prodigal son in Luke 15 that said, Hey, I don't want any fellowship with you, Father. I'm going to a far land to do what I want to do. We've all made decisions like that. Can I get an amen? Every single one of us. All have sinned. There's none righteous, no, not one. So why would God desire to come to earth? Why would he want to rescue Wade Humphreys? Why would he want to rescue you? When he's so perfect, he's so just, and I have fallen so far short of his glory. I deserve nothing but his wrath. Why would he do that? Well, David tells us. Look what it says in verse 10. This is so good. This will almost put you on shouting ground, but I know Baptists don't shout. So let's just don't get nervous, all right? He says, I've not hidden your deliverance within my heart. David says, I've talked about it. Now look what he says next. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed, here it is, you ready? Your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why would God come to our rescue? Listen, because He loves us with an everlasting, unconditional, breathtaking kind of love. And there's there's nothing that you and I can do or could do that can make God love us any less than He already does or love us any more than He already does. He loves us perfectly. And because He loves us perfectly, He offers us deliverance. He offers us rescue. If we'll just say, I need it. I need it. Thanks for offering, God. I need it. Come to my rescue. I trust in you. He loves us. And I know that there are so many verses that speak of the, the, in the Bible of, of the love of God. God is love. 1 John chapter 4, John 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God demonstrates his love for us. Romans 5, 8. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And all these verses about the love of God. And you've heard it. And, and you've heard preachers talk about it. But maybe you're in this room tonight. And you really struggle with the idea that God loves you. Why would he care about my little insignificant life? The little corner of creation that I take up. Why would he care about me? All the wrongs I've done, all the mistakes I've made. I'm weak and I'm frail. I'm not where I want to be in life. Why would he love me? And the answer is, it's who he is. God is Love And he has chosen to be faithful and to cause his love to be directed toward his creatures, you and me. So David's saying, hey, the reason that God rescues is because he loves. Don't ever forget that. God loves you. And so we see here the act of deliverance. Which reminds us of this, anyone that has been delivered can identify with this psalm. If you've been delivered from anything, if you've been saved from your sin, if you've been delivered from a tough spot in your life, if you've been delivered from something that is treacherous related to your circumstances or your workplace or your family or whatever the case may be, if you've ever been delivered by loving God, 
who's come to your rescue, you should read Psalm 40 and your heart should soar because you've been there, done that. You've experienced what David is talking about here. You've experienced rescue provided by a loving God. And so I don't know how a Christian can read Psalm 40 and and, and just not get it just crazy excited. Because a Christian has been rescued. Amen? If you're a Christian, you were in the miry bog, and you're not anymore. Can I get a witness? Amen. And so, Psalm 40 is a psalm of deliverance. Number, and by the way, have you ever been around those kind of people that they... Well, I'll get to that later. Number two, declaration. Declaration. Psalm 40 is a psalm of declaration. Again, David is excited about rescue. I think he's um, experiencing here his rescue from sin because he trusted in God as a Savior. He talks about the salvation there uh, in verse 10. But he's also talking about God's rescue from certain difficult situations in his life when he's surrounded by enemies. So David knew what it was like to be rescued. And David makes the case, hey... If you've truly been rescued by God, you ought to talk about it. Look what he says in verse 3. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see in fear and put their trust in the Lord. He's saying, listen, because of my testimony, because I'm singing songs of praise about God's rescue, God's deliverance, others are going to hear about this great God, and they're going to trust Him too. And then look what he says in verse 5. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. So God's saying, uh, David's saying, I could talk every day about how good you are, and I can never exhaust your goodness, but I'm going to try. I'm going to talk about how good you are. I'm going to talk about your deliverance. Look in verse 9. I've told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I've not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I've not hidden your deliverance within my heart. David's saying, I talk about you all the time. When we gather together in a great congregation, I give my testimony of how you've been faithful to me, how you've loved me, how you've delivered me, how you've rescued me. I talk about you all the time. So what do we learn from this? Delivered people should have the desire to tell others the good news. Delivered people should have the desire to tell others the good news. Sometimes we make evangelism too hard. One of my favorite definitions of evangelism is this. Evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where to find the bread. Don't you like that? Hey, listen, I'm a preacher of the gospel. I've been preaching now for almost 20 years, pastoring churches. I don't have it all figured out. I'm a, I'm, I, I've made a mess of things. I've sinned against God. I'm a beggar. I've, I've not earned any standing before God. I just found the bread, the bread of life. And he forgave me and saved me, and now I can tell other people where the bread is, right? If you're hungry, if your soul is famished, if you're far from God, you can turn to Christ and be saved. Evangelism is telling one beggar 
one beggar telling another beggar where to find the bread. But let's talk about it in the context of Psalm 40. Evangelism is one rescued person telling another person in the pit how to get rescued. Amen? If you've been rescued from the pit and you know someone that's, that's in the pit, you can say, hey, here's how to get out. Because, listen, Jesus really is the answer, right? I, mean, I don't know, you know, friends, family members, co-workers, you know, people you know, I don't know what they're going through, but I know this, Jesus is the answer. No matter what situation is going on, Jesus is the answer. And so delivered people should have the desire to tell others the good news. David's saying it's so good to be rescued, I just can't stop talking about it. And delivered people should have the desire to boast in the Lord. You notice David here is not talking about how great of a king he is, is he? He just keeps saying, Whew, I was in the pit, now I'm not. God, you are so good. Delivered people should have the desire to boast in the Lord. If you are... I don't think I how to say this nicely. If you are... I know how to say it. If you are filled up with pride about your level of righteousness or your knowledge of Christianity or whatever the case may be. Listen, if you're full of pride, you've forgotten what the pit was like. Right? Forgot what the pit was like. We have nothing to be prideful of. We were in the pit, unable to save ourselves. The only reason that we are alive is because of Christ. So we need to lay down our pride and and just boast in the Lord. Just brag on Jesus. He's the one that has done so much for us. Declaration, which leads me back to what I was going to say earlier. Have you ever been around one of those folks and they, they just, they've just never gotten over being saved? Have you ever been around a person like that? They just can't stop talking about it. They just, every time they get a chance, they just talk about, their, they share their testimony. They, they just, they've never gotten over the fact that God rescued them from the pit. They just, they just never have just gotten over that. Now, here's my question for you tonight. Have you gotten over it? Have you gotten over being rescued from the pit? Have you forgotten how bad the pit was? Because when you remember how bad the pit was and remember how good God is, it'll cause you to want to talk about the rescuer, right? Number three, this psalm is a psalm of dedication. A psalm of dedication. Look in verse 6. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. So David's saying, You rescued me, and because of that, I want to follow, I want to do what you tell me to do. I want to do your will. I believe that my rescuer knows what's best for my life, and I want to follow his will. Here's the point. Delivered people should faithfully follow the one who delivered them. Faithfully. He's saying there, you're not just into religious ritual, sacrifice, and offering. He's saying, you want me to, you want me to give you my ear? You want me to, you want me to follow you? You want me to, you want me to do what you tell me to do? You want me to live my life for you. And hey, by the way, God is not interested in religious ceremony on Sunday that doesn't affect your Monday. He 
In Isaiah, he says it all the time. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. God is not impressed by religious ritual that doesn't change someone's heart. Amen? When you've been rescued, I mean, you've you've been drawn out of the miry pit and God has set your feet upon a rock. Hey, you've trusted God to save you and you trust God with your daily life. You trust that God who made you and saved you know what's best for you and you want to follow Him. You want to be faithful following Him. Here's what Derek Kidner writes, an Old Testament commentator. After such a deliverance, what offering can one bring but one's heart and will? God, you have it all because you've been my rescuer. And here's the next thing. This is where it gets interesting. Delivered people should joyfully follow the one who delivered them. Verse 8, look what he says. I delight to do your will. Not just, I'm okay, God, I'll obey you. All right, but I delight, I love to do your will. We try to teach the principle in our home with our kids that we want obedience, but not just obedience, we want obedience with a happy heart. Because it's dishonoring when you say, clean your room, and they stomp off to go clean their room. That's not, that doesn't do anybody any good, right? And so we don't, we're, we're not always there, so don't, don't, don't think I'm saying that. But I'm saying what we're shooting for is, we're shooting for obedience with a happy heart. Hey, they do what mom and dad tells them because they believe that mom and dad know what's, knows what's best for them, and, and they're going to go do that. Now, it's the same with the Lord. The same with the Lord. He's our Father through Jesus Christ, and he wants not just, not just grudging obedience, he wants obedience with a happy heart, that we really do believe that God's will is what's best for our lives. You know, some people believe that God is just, you know, up there in heaven, and he's on the lookout for anything that looks fun, and he says, don't do that, that God's just trying to steal all of our fun, Right? That, that is such an unbiblical... Anybody that believes that has not read their Bible. Because God is a God of joy and delight and purpose and meaning and fulfillment. And all of that is found in His will for your life. He made you. He knows, he knows what's best for you. So because He made you, you can say, Okay, that, that kind of stuff will destroy you. This is what I've intended for you. And so David says, I'm, I'm dedicated. You rescued me, God. I'm dedicated to follow your will. I delight to do your will. Listen to me. If you're struggling with obedience, if you're struggling with, with faithful following, maybe it's because you forgot about the pit. Maybe it's because you forgot about how great the rescue was. Amen? There's a fourth thing here. I didn't get an amen on that, but I'll just keep going. Psalm 40 is a psalm of deliverance, it's a psalm of declaration, it's a psalm of dedication, but fourth and last, it's a psalm of desire. A psalm of desire. What do you mean by desire? Look in verse 16. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. Delivered people should desire closer fellowship with their deliverer. 
May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. In other words, David's saying, hey, when you've experienced God's rescue, when you've experienced God as a deliverer, it ought to do something inside of you to want to be closer to the one who rescued you, to want to draw near to him. The one who showed such great love to you, you ought to want to be near to him, seek him, and delight and find your joy in him. Delivered people should desire closer fellowship with their deliverer. So here's my question. Do you find your joy in life? Do you find your happiness in life in your relationship with God? Or are you looking for joy? Are you looking for happiness? Are you looking for fulfillment? Are you looking for contentment in some other area of life? Because if you're looking for that which only God can give somewhere else, listen to me, that thing, that area you're looking at becomes an idol. That's what idolatry is. Idolatry is when you look to something or someone else to give you what only God can give you. Amen? That's what idolatry is. You know, we think idolatry, we think of the Old Testament, you know, the golden calves and the Baal worshippers and the Asherah poles and all of that kind of stuff. Idolatry is still alive and well. John Calvin said that the, the, the heart, the human heart, is an idol-making factory. Our hearts default to idolatry. And we always want to believe that we can find real joy and happiness and contentment somewhere else other than God. And we'll go looking for it, won't we? And it never delivers. Because, because a relationship with God is the only thing that can deliver lasting, real joy and fulfillment and contentment in your life. And so David's saying, hey, when you've been delivered, you ought to seek the Lord. Seek to find your joy in Him. Delivered people should desire closer fellowship with the deliverer. Let me say it like this. If you have no desire to draw closer to the, to the deliverer, it may mean you haven't been delivered. Let me say it again. If you have no desire to draw closer to the deliverer, it may mean you haven't been delivered. If you're not impressed by, that impressed by the deliverer, maybe it's because you've never been delivered. Because when you've been snatched from the miry bog and your feet have been placed upon a rock... you'll be pretty impressed with the one who rescued you. Amen? Desire. Now, some of you may be struggling. Okay, wait, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, I know that. And I want to be closer to God, but I'm struggling. Um, this psalm gives you some, some help to draw near, to desire the deliverer. This very psalm reminds you of how great the deliverer is. There, there's, there's a little hidden nugget here that we see when we compare it with the New Testament that helps us just to to remember how great our Deliverer is. Now look what it says in verse 6. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. An open ear. Now literally in the Hebrew that phrase is, you have dug an ear for me, or ears you have dug for me, which is a weird phrase, is it not? So commentators are divided. Some people believe... Uh, that it means that God uh, has given David here, speaking in Psalm 40, uh, an open ear to hear the commands of God and, and want to obey God, which certainly seems to match with some of the surrounding uh, verses. But here's what's interesting. That phrase, 
uh, is literally dug an ear for me. And we know that this phrase, dug an ear for me, was a Hebrew metaphor for creation of a person's body. Okay? You dug an ear for me, you created me. It was a Hebrew idiom for God's creation. And we know that this is how this was intended. So wait, how do we know that's how it was intended? Because this verse is quoted in Hebrews chapter 10 and it's applied to Jesus Christ. Look what it says over in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5. Hebrews chapter 10, New Testament book, Hebrews. Sacrifice, verse 5, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, quoting David from Psalm 40, Sacrifice and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. He uses the Septuagint translation of the Old Testament, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament here. And so the writer of Hebrews, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, that phrase, you have dug an ear for me, is a Hebrew idiom for giving me a body. So when applied to Jesus, it speaks of Jesus leaving heaven, coming to earth, and God clothing Jesus in human flesh in the womb of the virgin Mary. A body you've prepared for me. And so here's what... Uh, the writer of Hebrews is saying, David was talking about deliverance in his own life back in Psalm 40, but there are some verses there that pointed to the deliverer that would come after him. And these verses are applied to Jesus Christ. Look what he says. In burnt offerings, in sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, verse 7, again from Psalm 40, Behold, I've come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. And so the writer of Hebrews says, These verses apply to Jesus. Jesus left heaven, came to earth, took on human flesh. And when he was born of the Virgin Mary, he lived a life where he desired to perfectly obey the Father. He lived a perfect life so that, having fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law, he could go to the cross as the spotless Lamb of God and die in the place of sinners like me. Isn't that good news? As you read Hebrews 10, that's what he goes on to say, speaking of of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for our uh, sins. Look what it says in verse 12. When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And so he's speaking there of Jesus Christ coming to earth, living a perfect life, dying for our sins, rising from the dead, so you and I could be saved. And so embedded in Psalm 40... There's this picture of the Deliverer, Jesus Christ. If you came in here and your desire for God was waning, your desire for God was low, would you just remember tonight that Jesus Christ left the splendor and unceasing worship of heaven and he came to earth where he would be mocked and maligned and mistreated and he left heaven and he came to earth and he took on human flesh for you. And he lived a perfect life to succeed where you fell short. And then he went and died for your sins. Aren't you glad he came and delighted to do the will of God? I see Stephanie in here. Uh, we have a center shot ministry. We're getting ready to start that back up for our, our children in our church. And it's, it's an archery ministry. And it's really awesome because they're teaching kids um, archery. And, and there are Bible studies that go along uh, with, the, with the archery sessions. And just it's really neat. And I remember my boys went to the first session. They came back and they had a little Bible study guide and I was reading it. And they used archery as an illustration 
for what Jesus Christ has done for us. And I, it was so good. Um, and basically what they said is this. Sin means to miss the mark, the mark of God's perfection. Remember what the Bible says in, in Romans 3, verse 23, all have sinned and, and what? Fallen short of the glory of God. And so the, the, if, if you want to go to heaven, okay, there's two ways to do it. Number one, you've got to be perfect. You've got to hit the mark perfectly every moment, every minute of your life. Anybody in here ever done that? Anybody ever thought a wrong thought, said a wrong thing, done something wrong, told a lie? You know, any, anybody in here? Am I the only one that's imperfect? We, uh, okay, all right. Okay, yeah, all of us. So, so we've all, listen, we've all missed the mark. If we're, if we're shooting an arrow, none of us have hit the target, right? But see, Psalm 40 tells us, and quoted by Hebrews 10, that Jesus Christ came, took on the body that God prepared for him in the womb of the Virgin Mary, and he delighted to do God's will. That means that he succeeded where we failed. He obeyed God perfectly. He hit the mark bullseye every time. Every time. Now listen, it gets even better. Jesus died for our sins. He rose from the dead so that we could be saved. So, I was saved when I was nine years of age. When I was nine, I began to understand I was a sinner. My pastor came and talked to me and walked me through some verses in Romans, and, and it was very clear to me, the Holy Spirit gripped my heart, that I was a sinner in need of a Savior. I'll never forget him uh, showing me Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That was when God just sealed the deal in my, in my heart. I knew I needed to be saved. And, and so I called upon the name of Jesus, and I was saved at nine years of age, baptized the next week. Praise the Lord for that. But here's what happened. Listen to me. Here's what happened at the moment of conversion. And if you're a Christian, if you're born again, this is what happened at your moment of conversion. At the moment of conversion, all of my sin that I'd committed up to nine years of age and all the sin I would commit until the day I went to heaven was forgiven. Because Jesus died for all of my sins on the cross. Every time I missed the mark, every time I fell short, Jesus paid the penalty for that every time. So when I was saved, my sins were forgiven. But that's not all that happened when I was converted. Now, I didn't understand this when I was nine. I've been spending now, you know, the last, what, 31 years of my life understanding what happened when I was saved. But when I was converted, not only were my sins forgiven, but Jesus gave me at that moment his perfect score. He gave me his righteousness. The Bible calls it imputed or alien or foreign righteousness. That's what theologians call it. In other words, when we're saved, Christ gives us his righteousness as a gift. It's not ours. He gives it to us as a gift. So now, when God looks at us, he justifies us. Why? Our sins are forgiven. Jesus paid for them all. And we have been robed in the perfect righteousness of Christ. When he sees us, he sees us as having made a perfect score. Jesus gave us his perfection. And that's our position before God. So is that really what happened when you were saved? Is that really the exchange that took place? Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. One of my favorite verses. It says, He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He who knew no sin hit the mark every time. 
became sin for us. He died for all of our sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. He gave us righteousness as a gift. That's our position before a holy God. And I read that little illustration from the... the, uh, archery lesson and I, I just was I was just just rejoicing in the Lord because that's exactly what he did for me that's exactly what he's done for you if you're a Christian that's exactly what he'll do for you if you're not a Christian and place your faith in Jesus he'll forgive you and he'll give you his perfect score as a free gift Isn't that awesome and that's what Psalm 40 is talking about that I delight to do your will you dug an ear for me that's a Hebrew reading for you gave me a body Jesus left heaven God gave him a body in the womb of the Virgin Mary he lived a perfect life so he could go to the cross die for our sins and give us his perfection so if you've struggled to desire the deliverer just read Psalm 40 read Hebrews 10 just remember all that Jesus Christ has done for you